We are in a series on the Ten Commandments. We've been in this all summer. We're walking through each commandment on its own. And I heard about a, a third grade Sunday school teacher. Um, she's in Sunday school teaching her class, and she was teaching the Fifth Commandment. Now, the Fifth Commandment says, honor your father and mother. But she wanted to know, and she asked this question, does anyone know of a commandment um, that is directed towards your brothers and sisters? And a little boy in the back raised his hand and said, yes, I do, I do. Do not murder. <laughs> it may be applicable. I don't know. I don't know the family you grew up in, but maybe it was close on a couple occasions. So here we are. Here's the series up to this point. I want to give you a breakdown. I think this is a good time to talk about all Ten Commandments and how they fit together. So Commandments 1 through 4, this is our relationship with God how we relate with God, who God is, um, what He expects from us in our relationship with Him, to honor God, honor His name, um, honor the Sabbath, um, keep His name holy, you know, no other gods before Him, no idols, that kind of stuff. This is our relationship with God, one through four. Then commandment number five is kind of unique in that. It's our first relationship with people. It's our parents. Is where we learn to have relationships with other people. So, commandment number five is kind of the bridge between one through four and six through ten. Uh, it's that bridge, it's the gap in between, and it shows us how to do the others. It should teach us that. And then, um, commandment six through ten is our relationship with everyone else, how we relate to each other, how we're supposed to treat each other, what we're supposed to do or not do, and um, how that works out. So, if you've looked ahead, if you've looked at your bulletin, if you know what commandment six is, on the back there's a place you can take some notes, there's a title there, um, you might already have guessed where we're going this morning. And since I'm assuming we don't have any convicted murderers here this morning, it's a holiday weekend, let's cut it short, let's go home early, all right? Lunch is early today. We'll sing another song, take offering, because that's important in a church, right? Okay, just joking, all right, let's, let's look at this one today. The sixth commandment. It's only four words. The old King James Version, if you still read that one, it says, thou shalt not kill. However, that translation, if we take that from the old Hebrew language, um, in the Old Testament, the word kill actually has about ten different translations that we can understand from that word. And so we look at other translations like the NIV, um, the ESV, which is what I study with, is usually what we have on the screen. It simply says, you shall not murder. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Now, I think that's the best translation um, of this commandment. It translates it the best because it has to do with premeditated murder as opposed to an accidental killing. The commandment itself doesn't forbid all killing but specifically murder is how that word kill then is translated into our language. Now to look at the commandment simply we can make fun of that and say we haven't been convicted of that so therefore we can go home. But Jesus puts a different spin on it. And we're going to get to Jesus towards the end of this message. We're going to um, land on where he hits. And it does, it hits us a little closer to home. But there's other things to chat about. What about war? or euthanasia, or abortion, or self-defense, or capital punishment. There's a list of things that we might have questions about. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. We're going to fly through this sermon, all right? This is, this is like a nine-point sermon. i got nine different points. So if you want to take some notes, get on the, take the back of your bulletin. You can write some notes down here. But I'm giving you fair warning. We're moving through these things pretty quick. Some of these topics probably could be either a sermon within themselves 
or a whole study or a whole series of sermons just on one of them. Some of these topics also deserve a cup of coffee and a conversation more than they deserve someone speaking at you. So understand it and meet me there as well. If one of these things hits you differently, then let's get together. Let's sit down and have a cup of coffee together and talk about what it is more than me just speaking at you. Let's work it out that way. So let's jump in. Here's how we're going to approach it. Here's a list of things. What is not forbidden by this commandment? All right, these are the things not forbidden. The first one is self-defense. Self-defense. If you have to defend yourself, your own life, and you take somebody else's life, this one is not considered murder. Exodus chapter 22, verse 2. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. So let me explain this one. This is how this one works, all right? It gives it the best example, I think. If someone breaks into your house and your life is threatened, they're threatening to kill you, and you, in turn, to defend yourself, kill them, it's still a killing. There's still a death that happens, but you're not considered a murderer. Therefore, this one doesn't count. However, if they end up escaping... And the next morning you get up and you chase them down and then kill them, then you would be considered a murderer. It has to be in the act of self-defense for that to work. Here's a second one. Number two. Um, I told you we're flying through these, all right? Number two is war. War. As bad as war is, understand, I believe that we should always try for peace. We should work towards peace. Peace is the goal for everyone, but there is also a time for war. And if you read through your Old Testament, you're going to see it. There's so many examples of war throughout. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8 says, There is a time for war and a time for peace. It's not just in the Old Testament either. Many wars today, Matthew 24, 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. This is Jesus talking here, and he says, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. So even Jesus is attributing to this and saying, hey, it's going to happen. There's going to be some war in our lifetime, as terrible as it is. And Jesus isn't saying this is fun, you should go seek it out. War is terrible. We should not go to war for selfish reasons or for war itself, but there is such a thing as a moral war or an obligation to war. And when war is done out of self-defense or to stop an aggressive dictator, then it might be necessary. And those who participate in that and kill someone else, they're not considered a murderer. There's still death, and that's still bad, but they're not considered a murderer. Now, I also believe within the act of war, murder can still happen. It's tough to judge it's tough to see it's tough to understand when that is therefore we rely on god to judge our hearts and our hearts have to be a part of that that there still can be murder within the confines of war number three is this one Um, what's not considered part of this is accidental killing accidents as bad as they are as well accidents still happen in our life exodus 21 verse 12 whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. Now, there was a time period where there was this concept of um, 
capital punishment. We're going to get to that one here soon. Um, but there was a city of, they were called cities of refuge, where if an accident happened, but you couldn't prove that it was an accident, you could flee to this city until you could find some witnesses, until you could show your innocence. And it could be an accident. We instinctively know the difference between this. We react differently when a young man may accidentally get shot and dies during a freak hunting accident as opposed to a young man who's shot in the street by someone who's trying to rob him. One saddens us, the other sickens us. And I think we can tell in our hearts the difference between those things. And the choice of the Hebrew word in this text does give us an acknowledgement that there are different kinds of killings, that not all killing is equal. So the last point I want to make on this topic, on this issue, under um, this heading, the last point in this section may bring some disagreement. There may be some of you that disagree with me on this, especially politically. Maybe politically you disagree with me on this, but I'm going to encourage you this morning to set aside your political views. Understand this, I'm not running for office, okay? You're not voting for me after this talk, um, all right, you don't have to agree with me politically to come and worship here. This is not part of it. This is not a political platform. If I have a political platform, it's Jesus, and that's it. So hear me through. Gain an understanding. Our concept to understand is how we value life. And how does God value life? Number four, under this heading, I'm putting capital punishment. So let's go back to Genesis. When Cain killed Abel, his own brother, Cain was not put to death. In fact, God allowed him to live. God said, no, I'm not going to allow you to die. I'm going to let you live. In fact, his life probably wasn't very good. He almost probably wished that he would have died um, during that time period. But after Noah and the flood, the rules for capital punishment changed. God added some rules to this. And throughout the Old Testament, there were rules and laws about capital punishment. You can see these. These are evident throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. This isn't a um, quote from it. This is what it talks about. Here's the concept. You have to have more than one witness. It, it can't just be one witness that's there. Exodus 23, 2. You can't buy your way out of it. Don't show favoritism to rich people. They can't pay their way out of capital punishment. C.M. Adams, he put it this way, said, Man did not invent capital punishment, God did. But being merciful and just, he established a protocol for the implementation of the penalty. Capital punishment is not about deterrence, nor is it about closure. It's about justice. And murder deserves justice. The intent for capital punishment was to be swift and it was to be connected to the crime that was committed. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11, this is the New International Version. It says, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. So personally, when I read through this and try and get a grasp of it, I'm not sure I'm in favor of capital punishment the way it's imposed in our society today. To me, it's inhumane and cruel, and it defeats the purpose of what it's supposed to do. It does not value life the way it is set up today. 
Our system of justice is so far off, it's so far removed from the crime, it's no longer justice. And politically, it's meant for a different reason. The reason that I have it in this category is the example set in the Old Testament. And it would be this. I would not consider someone a murderer if they legally carried out capital punishment. If somebody legally did this, I would not say that person then is also a murderer. And if I were on a jury today, I'd have a tough time. I'd have a tough time sentencing anyone to death because I believe in grace and I believe in what God can do through any of us. I also believe that Jesus seemingly changed the rules of this when he said, hey, don't even think about it. Somewhere in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus changed the rules on this one. We can see it through his life and how he led people. And we're, we, we're going to get to Jesus in a minute. Um, hang tough with me on this. But according to Jesus, we've all been guilty. All of us are guilty of committing and breaking the sixth commandment. I've seen Jesus through his stories, how he forgave people, and he offered grace to those who were guilty of laws that if they were convicted, they would have received capital punishment. Because of his grace and his example set for us, it'd be hard to put anyone to death today. And I believe that the vengeance is God's, not mine. Therefore, let's move on. Let's look at this next section. What is then forbidden by this commandment? <laughs> if those things are not, then, then what is? What, what's forbidden in this commandment? Number one is this, the deliberate taking of another life. I think this is easy. This is one that we can all see. If you deliberately chase someone down and take their life. Numbers 35, verse 16. But if he is struck down with an iron object so that he, um, so that, so that he died, he is a murderer. The person who did that is a murderer. Now, our judicial system today makes a distinction between, a murder, between murder and manslaughter based on the degree of premeditation or negligence or intent. We try and make a distinction, and that's tough for us. It's hard to see because we can't judge the heart, and only God can do that, and he is our ultimate judge. Therefore, it's under there. Number two would be this, negligence. Negligence. Maybe you're just not careful enough and someone dies. Deuteronomy 22, verse 8 says, When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> How many use parapet in their everyday language? Do you know what that means? In those days, the roofs were flat, and so there was a danger if anyone was on the roof that they could accidentally walk off the roof and fall and die. And a parapet is like a safety rails. They're guards that build up the walls around your roof so that no one could accidentally walk off. And if you don't, and someone does, you're negligent. That's considered murder, because you didn't take enough safety measures to protect life and value life. Therefore, put up some guardrails. That's really what it comes down to. Now, they didn't have OSHA back then, so Deuteronomy fit this. OSHA, you know, section Roman numeral 3, part 4, line 2 of OSHA rules and how to keep people safe. They use the Old Testament, and basically it says negligence. If you deliberately don't do something that could cause someone to die, you could be liable. 
That's valuing life and making sure that everyone stays safe. Again, I want to say this before I move on to the next three points. The next three points in this section may bring disagreement. You may disagree with me politically about this, but again, I'm not running for office, and this is not a political platform. My politics are Jesus, so hear it through. Understand that we're looking at the value of life when we talk about this. So what is, number three, abortion? This has become very political in our um, society, and I do not believe that we should legislate life and death Therefore, you have a choice politically of what to choose or who to choose to vote for and follow. But I need to explain, and I want you to hear me through on this one. I am not a male chauvinist. I'm not standing up here telling women what they can and can't do. I believe we all make choices. And our choices come with consequences. And no matter where you're at in your line of choices, whether it's your first choice or your second choice or your third choice, or you didn't have a choice and now you have a choice to make, you still have consequences to the choices that you do make. I do believe that God is the ultimate judge, not me, and we will have to answer to him someday. So at the risk of being political, I stand for what is biblical. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Explains it. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The life of the unborn is considered just as valuable as the life of the living. We value that. Mother Teresa said it this way. If we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill each other? Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, but to use any violence to get what they want. Those are strong words, and those are strong verses that I read. Yes. And if we need to go further on this one, if this is one that you may disagree with me about, this deserves a conversation. Then let's sit down and chat. Let's talk it through. Let's try and understand each other. And let's approach it with both truth and grace. Grace has to always be taught with truth. We can't teach truth away from grace or grace away from truth. They have to go together. So grace on this one, if you've been affected by this issue, whether it's you and you have done this or someone you know has done this, remember that God's grace is more than enough more than enough for anything that you have ever done or anything you will ever do. Which leads me to my next point. Number four is suicide. The murder of yourself is considered wrong by God. Our bodies really aren't our own. I really believe I don't have a choice. Which makes an argument to the point right before this one. Our bodies are on loan to us by God. I don't get to choose. Whether I'm a man or a woman, I don't have a choice about what happens with my body. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have given to God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. So whether you're a man or woman, I don't believe we do have a choice. We belong to God. Therefore, on this one, it's up to him, not me. 
So when you're feeling this, if you've walked this path, if you've had these thoughts before and you have them often, when you're down and out and you're thinking that the best way is to end your own life, remember that God does have a purpose for you. He does care for you. And grace goes right along with that truth. Truth and grace together. So if that's you or you know of someone that has walked through this or has done this, please seek somebody out. There's someone there for you. Know that you are not alone. People care for you. And grace is offered to you. I get it and I know that the struggle is real and sometimes those thoughts come. But please remember that God is a God of grace and of second chances and he wants you to honor life, even your own. Okay, here's the last one in this section. Um, number five, euthanasia. Here's the best way I can explain this one in, in, in my thoughts with this. We are called to imitate God, not play God. Our role is to imitate him, not play him. So here's some questions that might help you understand this concept a little bit. Um, one, are you using ordinary or extraordinary means to keep someone alive? Are you, are you allowing that person to die or are you causing them to die? So bottom line, is it active or is it passive? And I think there's a big difference between active euthanasia and passive euthanasia. In active euthanasia, one is deliberately causing death, either injecting poison or taking a drug. Passive euthanasia is discontinuing extraordinary medical procedures that keeps that person alive. I understand this one has a lot of gray area. This one is, is individual probably in every circumstance that we walk through, and it would be hard to write rules up for this one. So this one has to be covered with lots of prayer, lots of wisdom, and lots of understanding of what life is as we honor life. So let's move to Jesus. What does Jesus say about this commandment? How does he unpack this one for us? And it's on the Sermon on the Mount. He addresses it directly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, starting there, he says, You have heard that it was said um, to those of old, You shall not murder. He's quoting exactly the commandment. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So I said earlier, I don't know of any convicted murderers in our church. But after reading that line, we all fall under it. I don't know any of you that haven't been here. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus takes it to another level, and he says, even if you get angry at someone, you have stepped over the line, and you are convicted of this one. This word, Anger um, comes from a Greek word. That's what we translate it from. It's a, the original Greek word is orgidzo, and it means to arouse or a slow burn. This isn't just a quick, you know, I get upset, but this is an anger that builds and develops, and we let it set with us for a long time until we do something that we never intended to do to begin with. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, be angry. Anger is not the problem. It's what we do with it, right? So it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Don't let your anger make you do something you wish you wouldn't have done. 
Aristotle said it this way. I think he explained it best. He said, anyone can be angry. That is easy. But to be angry at the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way, that is not easy. That's why this one is so tough and why Jesus takes it to this level for us. So our application, what do we do with this? What, what are you supposed to take home? How do you, what do you learn from this message today on commandment number six? Anger management 101. Number one is this, reflect on your anger before reacting. Before you react because you're angry, take some time to think about it. Proverbs 29, 11, this is from the Good News Bible, says stupid people express their anger openly, but sensible people are patient and hold it back. And James 1, 19 says, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut and appear foolish than to speak and remove all doubt. Right? However, you still need to do this. Number two, release your anger appropriately. It's not saying hold it in and never release it. You've got to find a way to release that appropriately. So don't shove it down and repress it. Don't just hold it in and keep it tight. Repression almost always leads to depression. And many people that I've known to be depressed... Their, their depression is coming from their anger that they don't know what to do with. They're angry and they don't know how to release that, therefore depression sets in. So don't just shove it down. And don't blow up and express it either. Um, Proverbs seventeen fourteen from the message, the start of a quarrel is like a leak in a dam, so stop it before it bursts. Make sure you understand where that's coming out at and what to do with it. So here's what we do. Um, confess it. Find somebody that you can share your anger with that will listen to you. Go to God and confess this anger that's building in you and let God work through you on it. If you have any anger building up within you, Jesus is saying that's just as bad as breaking the sixth commandment. And I think we've all been there. If we're not right now, we've been there sometime in our life. And if you have been there, you can receive the grace of God. He offers that grace to all of us. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, here's a crazy part to me, the part that, um, it's ironic of how God has set this apart. Commandment number six, do not murder. Value life, do not take someone else's life. And how does he cover us in that? How do we get the grace from that? Is through someone giving up their life. In a sense, Jesus was murdered by others. In reality, he gave it up all on his own. But the irony in that, the value of life and the concept that we should not murder is covered by the fact that someone did give up their life and honors life through that. If you're struggling through this, if one of those topics hits you differently and you just want somebody to pray with you, um, I'd be happy to do that today. There's others around that would stay and pray with you and work with you through any of those topics. If you don't know who Jesus is and if you have never confessed your anger, your sin to him, I would love to introduce him to you and to teach you that his life is what gives you life. If you would, let's stand now as we prepare for time to remember what he did for us as we sing.